Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and with me, as usual, is Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. How's it going, Jill? So good. How are you, Danny? I'm good. Jill, you're in New York right now. You're in New York for a couple of days, right? So good to be back. Yes, hopefully longer. <laughs> Probably not this time. Jill, Jill is recording this in Times Square at the moment, um, in a <laughs> hotel, not Times just Square. not just like in the middle of Times Square. Um this week, we've got a couple of fun things to talk about. So, well, I probably not a good way to, to introduce the first thing, which is Sonia single, uh, Singal, sorry, abruptly leaving Gap on Monday. Sorry to Sonia for saying we have a fun thing to discuss and then immediately saying that she left Gap. Um, we're also going to talk about Dior uh, and their sort of conflict with Valentino from earlier this week, which then took sort of a weird turn halfway through the week. Um, and then finally, we will talk about some of the brands that are starting to charge people to return clothes, um, which is that like some some people have been doing this for a little while. Um, Boohoo was the most recent brand to start doing that um, this week, but actually I feel like the last couple of weeks or couple of months, we've seen some more of that. So we'll talk about that whole concept of charging for returns. Um, Let's start with Sonia. So this, the news came out late on Monday that Gap CEO Sonia Singal, who I think only joined in 2020, so she's only there for two years, um, kind of abruptly uh, stepped down. Um, Executive Chairman Bob Martin is going to take over as interim CEO. Um, yeah, so Sonia was there. At, well, also another bit of context is that Old Navy, another C, or another Gap company, also lost their CEO Nancy Green like relatively recently within the last couple of months. Um, I feel like Gap has had a little bit of a tough time um, this year, especially. Sonia kind of oversaw or or at least was CEO during um, a couple of big initiatives, Old Navy's like big bod equality, size inclusivity project, and then also this signing this big 10-year partnership with Kanye West. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Joe? I have my own thoughts, but I'll, we'll start with you. What do you think about Sonia being out at Gap and sort of why? Yeah, it's interesting. And she was actually, I mean, new in that position since 2020, which I mean, we're mm. cut out for her right before the pandemic to yeah, be definitely. thrown into that role, but was with the company for nearly two decades, um, had been Old Navy's, Old Navy CEO in 2016, uh, prior to Nancy, Nancy Green. So yeah, I mean, a lot. It seems there's there's a lot operational. Um, there's been buzz that like they need a, a merchant. Like the merchandising isn't where it should be. Um, Old Navy and Athleta were always, always for a while now the the big money drivers. Um, Banana Republic was kind of this oddball, not really um, thriving. Where it did actually mm-hmm. in Q1. Apparently, it was like their best performing brand. Anyway operational problems. And there are some questionable decisions in my book. Like back in April, right now, everybody's raising prices. Like everybody's bracing for a recession. Companies are going through big changes. To make a big declaration, like um, we talked about it, Old Navy announced um, like that they were freezing prices or they weren't going to raise them for back to school in April. That's like through the summer. I'm not sure what the, the end date was for that. But um, maybe that put, you know, extra, extra pressure in terms of margins on the brand um, as prices are still, you know, rising throughout the supply chain. So um, questionable decisions. Somebody said the the word or or the phrase, I, I don't know, putting too much weight into kind of these I, maybe bu- buzzy marketing initiatives like 
Kanye. That was in a marketing initiative. That was a bit. That was a big partnership and investment. But also, um, oh my gosh, what was it? Dapper Dan. They did a collab um, where it was um, not about transforming the business. Um, maybe that wasn't the focus, um, but it was more about these. Um, kind of peripheral, peripheral, like buzzy moments um, where it needs to be bigger moves, I guess. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I think you're totally right. I think there were a couple of things that kind of didn't work out exactly the way they wanted to. The The bot equality thing at Old Navy um, was like this big initiative that they really were hyping up that Old Navy was going to have like, you know, a vast, a vastly expanded size range every every side would be available in all these sizes at every store like all of these guarantees and then just recently i think a couple like a month or two ago they kind of quietly uh during an earnings call said that they were pulling back on some of those promises i also think the the gap or the the yeezy gap thing is interesting because on the one hand that has led to i think like their biggest sales day ever was on the the day that I think it was the hoodie, I think dropped from the Yeezy Gap collection. So it's like, it's a, it does well for them, but I also think it's rolled out very slowly. I mean, it's, the deal was signed like what, um, over a year ago or two years ago or something at this point. And there's only really a small handful of stuff has come out. So when it does come out, like it does do well, but I think that's, I, and I don't know, you know, they haven't really talked much about the timing. Maybe it's coming going exactly according to plan, but it feels like for that big deal kind of thing that they're hoping to be making them a billion dollars a year by, you know, a year or two from now should be coming out a lot quicker. So I, I don't know if there's operational holdups or what's going on there, but th that that partnership feels like it should be working harder for them than it has been. Yeah, it's almost fizzled. You haven't heard anything about it. And ideally, there would be maybe a set cadence where people could start talking about it. Like, um, it's this month or it's been quarterly that when's the the yay collection coming out, whatever we call it. Um, and yeah, it's just like random drops. And I don't know. I think that people still, of course, like love Kanye and are huge, huge fanatics. But I feel like he's lost some cool factor. <laughs> Let's That's be the real. other thing. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of bad press uh, around Kanye the last couple of months, and I'm sure that that probably ate into that um, into that partnership. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, when, when the stuff comes out, like it, it is popular and people do like it, but it's just coming out very erratically. Um, also, just not a, any sort of like specific misstep, but sales at, at Old Navy and Gap have both been kind of low recently. I think last quarter they were down 19% at Old Navy and 11% at Gap, and they kind of forecast through the whole yes, rest of the year. It's probably still going to be low. Um, on the other hand, I do think that Sonia seemed like very proactive. Like, uh, I remember when I first wrote about the bottle quality thing at Old Navy when it first came out, Allison Partridge-Stickney is the woman at Old Navy who sort of led that charge, but she said that she was given the mandate by Sonia personally that was like figure out plus for us. Like we need to like, you know, so it sounds like she was, you know, making big moves and and giving different people at Gap and, and Gap's different brands the mandate to like, you know, take big swings and stuff. So, um, and I think that's good. It just sounds like I think a, a lot of factors kind of all conspired to make some of those things not take off the way they 
probably wanted them to. Yeah, timing was not working in her favor. And a move like that is such a huge investment. That's why no retailer goes there. Um, it was such a such a leap. And right now, when things are so strained, um, yeah, it's it sucks. I I want to read this quote, which is so interesting. I wrote this. I I was like, what, what did she say? I, I talked recently to Trisha Logan, and she is um, at this executive recruiting firm. She's a managing partner. Um, which yeah, they basically recruit CEOs for large retail companies, and I, we were. I was asking her if she's gonna, if you know, we can expect a lot of shakeups coming up. And this was back in April, and she was like, "No, no, no, it was in late June. This was very recently." And she just said, "Boards and shareholders have little tolerance for underperformance. I expect to see more CEO changes and associate associated C level moves." Um, and she just talked about that companies should continue to like. Focus on the basics, profitability, cash flow, inventory. Um, and yeah, like like we were talking about, some of these sexier things, like right now, that's not that's not what what matters. It's about paying the bills and um yeah, not maybe these big um press moments, I guess. Right, exactly. And especially like making really specific public promises that then you are kind of held to. So like freezing prices, we will not raise prices. It's like, okay, well now you, you can't raise prices and, and if you need to. And same with like the bottle quality thing, which I think is like a really admirable move. And, and like you said, not a lot of other retailers are doing it. I think that's really cool. But it was sort of like when you came out that like every store will have every style in every size. It's like, that's a big promise that you now have to keep. Um, I mean, I, I guess you don't have to, but like, People won't be happy if you come out with a big promise like that and then back off it later. So I, I think just like making those big kind of, yeah, like you said, sexy kind of moments that are exciting and making these big promises instead of just focusing on like kind of boring but more important things, which is just profitability and sales and inventory. Especially right now, it's like really hard to, sorry, last thing, Just it's hard to make promises right now on anything because there's like, you don't know if you're going to have enough inventory. You don't know if it will get there in time. You don't know how, if people are going to keep spending on stuff. It's like really hard to make promises on on anything right now for, for a brand. Totally. And it seems like um, these are the priorities for Gap that with the new CEO they're bringing in uh, for Old Navy uh, from Walmart Canada. Walmart Canada's CEO, gosh, Horatio Barbado, butchering it, I'm sure. Um, but it has leadership roles, merchandising, marketing, supply chains, store operations, all of those geeky retail things that, <laughs> again, they're not sexy, but they definitely matter this day and age. And before we move on, I have to ask you, oh my God, like it's, Q1, Banana Republic, the best performer across the umbrella of Gap Inc. brands. I mean, it was like uh, one of the stories I was reading was like, well, people were going back to work. They needed work clothes. And I don't know if this is going to hold on, but there was a recent story that I <laughs> shot your way um, this morning on in BOF that was talking about menswear and how, you know, is this the fall of streetwear? People want to wear, I don't know, business casual or even uh, relaxed suiting now. Like, is this real? Like, is it like athleisure is had its moment? And I don't know, are you feeling it? Are you seeing it elsewhere? Or is this a little bit too? Um, I feel like I want to go really, I, I feel like athleisure is still it. Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, I, I feel like the, um, 
the idea that in streetwear specifically that like oh more like more streetwear brands are going to do tailoring and like you know slacks and stuff that I, I feel like that's been rumbling since like 2019 or something like pre-pandemic um and i think there's a little bit of that i mean like if you look at a brand like stussy for example um which is like has really you know strong streetwear cred like they do a lot of polo shirts and dressy kind of stuff like that that definitely exists um, I don't know if I feel confident enough to say that like streetwear is dead and like people are going to wear a three piece suit to go bowling or whatever. I don't know if that's true. Um, but I mean, that idea has been there for a while that there will be sort of a slight move away from like a uh, 45 year old men dressing like a seventh grade skateboarder, which is, has been sort of in for a while. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I actually, you know, since you sent me that story earlier, I've been thinking about wanting to do a story on like where where all that's going specifically for like menswear and are people going to be wearing more tailoring and stuff i can tell you that personally i did go to banana Pro republic and i did buy a pair of like chinos basically and it was the first time i bought something from banana republic in probably over 10 years or something this was just like a couple of weeks ago yeah um and there was some pretty nice stuff there so like I on like a personal it. level like i used to not like them Maybe I just had a bad experience in high school or something, but like going in there recently, I thought there was some nice stuff. Yeah. And maybe there's something too that like a streetwear, like that it's just evolving and that it's almost one in the same with, like you said, tailoring, like you see, we'll, we'll say ALD, like they, they have a lot of great mm -hmm. like trousers. Like I would call that yeah. brand streetwear. And it, a lot of things are very pre like pre preppy um, and like Banana Republic has that new line that is almost like uh rowing blazers like it's very mm -hmm. um i don't know preppy meets almost collegiate to me but like there's definitely yeah. tailoring and some streetwear influence and and all it really takes is just like a cool person with like some streetwear credibility to like wear stuff from those brands or for a cool brand with streetwear credibility to make some of that stuff in order for it to kind of like all merge together so like you said uh a may leon door still see like even like, I mean, even like Carhartt or Dickies, those sort of workwear brands, like they kind of have like slacks and stuff too. The, you know, all it takes is like that, those kinds of brands or or people who are kind of like have that sort of streetwear cred to start wearing it for it to cross over. So um, let's move on to talking about Dior versus Valentino, which I found this story to be very funny. Um, but basically, according to Women's Wear Daily, Dior, um, as in Christian Dior, had sent a letter um, to Valentino demanding 100,000 euros in compensation for Valentino's couture show in Rome, like blocking access to the Dior, the Dior store by the Spanish Steps for a full day. Um, and in the letter, they were like, the store was desolate, like there was nobody in it because everything was blocked for like the the Valentino show, which was right outside. Um, not only that, so at first I feel like that sounds kind of petty, but apparently Valentino had written a letter to all of the stores and businesses in that area promising them that that would not happen, like saying, we're going to have a show, it's going to be right outside your store, but we'll make sure that it doesn't like you know, interfere with your business. And that makes it feel like slightly like more justified to me that they had promised that. And then in the Dior letter, it was like, that did not happen at all. Um, I thought that was very funny. There was a twist in the story later in the week, but, but let's talk first, like before we get to like what happened today, we're, we're recording this Wednesday. Um, what were your thoughts on just that sort of dispute there, Joe? Yeah. I, is this a legit, I guess, 
lawsuit or whatever they were doing. It, it, to me, if Fred it's not a lawsuit, it was a it was a demand for compensation, which they said if they didn't get it in two weeks, then they would pursue legal action or whatever. So it was not a lawsuit to begin with. Everything I read was like, I was like, is this somebody in the store writing Valentino a letter? Because it, it keeps saying letter by the retail manager of Chris. Christian Dior Italia. Yeah. And I'm like, is yeah. it, who, what do you mean retail manager? Because is, is this like somebody that's, I'm, you know? I'm also, yeah, especially I'm like, okay, well, if you say the retail manager for Dior in this area, I'm like, that sounds like a specific person who we can just look up on LinkedIn or like, or is this like an anonymous retail manager? I don't know. Like head uh, of retail at corporate Dior. Like it should, I mm -hmm. don't know. I want clarification on that. Um, but yeah, to me, uh, $100,000. I don't know how much these stores are doing. It seems a little bit excessive, unless it was legit all day and there were mm -hmm. people outside <laughs> pounding on the door wanting their bags. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it it who seems like. Get in or something. Yeah, it seems like a lot of money. Um, and also, Dior is owned by LVMH and is like one of the biggest luxury brands in the world. And it does feel a little petty to quibble over like what's not like a single day at one store. And with like some traffic outside the store, like just doesn't feel that intense. Anyway, the the thing that happened like just before we started recording this on Wednesday was that there was another story in Women's Wear in which Dior apparently retracted the letter and like or had sent another letter to Valentino that was like disregard the previous one, like that's fine, don't worry about it. Uh, citing sort of like a good relationship between the two brands and that there it's like it's no big deal. Like so I wonder if this like you said was just like a rogue agent within Dior who sent this angry letter and then once it got out through the women's wear story corporate Dior was like you know retract that we are not we're not getting into a legal fight with Valentino over this. Yeah, and I think the social backlash like you said, oh get over mm -hmm. it Dior, you're fine. Um I think that the backlash, like, I think they probably like that was that was silly. This is not a good yeah. look. This is not a good look. Exactly. Exactly. The pettiness uh, that that people were sort of seeing there is not worth, you know, 100,000 euros or whatever. Um, I do think, though, it does raise a slightly interesting question about the big bombastic luxury fashion shows, especially when they're held in sort of like special locations and like what kind of impact or disruption it has on that area. Like, for example, the Balenciaga show um, that was on the New York Stock Exchange for. Obviously, that was done with the permission of the New York Stock Exchange. I doubt it was like that disruptive, but something like that where it's like, this is a area that's either used for business purposes or a public place, like the Spanish Steps for the Valentino show. Like, I do think those shows are so big and, and like, um, bombastic, like I said, and and I know Valentino had to get a lot of permits and permissions from the city of Rome to even hold the show there. So there is something interesting there about like, what is the impact on the, the either the businesses or just the people in, in the areas that are home to those big, insane shows? Yeah. And it's an unexpected, I guess, result. You would think that it would bring more people into the area at one time. And I mean, it seems like the, the door was blocked, but ideally it would bring more people into the store, I would think. Yeah, you'd think so as well. And there's there's 
it's also a distinction between a show like that Gucci show from we talked about a couple of weeks ago that was at like a castle or something. And it's like, yeah, it's probably not disrupting anybody except the person who owns the castle who like, you know, is happy to host a Gucci show. But compared to just doing something like on the street or like I can't think of a good example in New York, but I'm sure that there's an example it's at some point in fashion history of, you know, some disruptive, annoying luxury fashion show in New York City somewhere. Usually I feel like they're they're pretty confined though and you know in in dedicated venues and stuff but I don't know. The shows are big and they do like fly in a ton of people and they do like cause a lot of emissions and stuff and there, I think there has been some questioning of like do we really need to have this like giant display and is it really worth it? So totally. I don't know. It's worth thinking about the Valentino thing. Totally. It wasn't disrupted by any means, but the way that it was talked about um, within stories, I was not there. Um, but that the show, you know, it had your people who were invited, they were seated, they were enjoying it. But also, uh, I went to the Cynthia Cynthia Raleigh show the last last Fashion Week, and it was outside. What's the park in financial, financial district? Anyway, it was outside. And people who were like jogging the park just like stopped and watched. And it was just so cool. I was like, that I wish, you know, that would be cool if that was me and just be like, oh, a show. They had like great, uh, the best view, like better than the people sit- sitting there. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Actually, cool. I remember a similar thing with the Imitation of Christ show a couple of seasons ago that was at some, it was at a church in Manhattan and they, last second, they moved it outside to like the kind of the grounds right outside the church, which had a iron fence around it. But it was like very visible from the street and we were all inside the fence, but there were lots of people on the sidewalk just watching. And and like you said, I mean, I didn't think that was disruptive to people. If anything, it's one of the cool things of living in a city like New York is that you just walk down the street and like pass something cool like that. Finally, let's talk about, um, like I said, Boohoo this week. That's the British fast fashion, I guess, kind of retailer announced that it was going to start charging people for returns. Again, Boohoo is like the most recent example, but I feel like there's a, a good amount of you know, companies that have started doing this recently. Um, they're only charging people like around two euros, which um, as of recently is basically $2 because the euro and the dollar are like at parity right now, which is kind of uh, unprecedented, I think, um, or at least uncommon. Um, anyway, so this is like, I feel like increasingly common, especially a lot of kind of fast fashion-y sort of places, Uniqlo, Zara, like Places like that have started to do this, usually not charging too much, but I mean, it's more than free, which is what it usually is. Um, so I have my theories here of, of why this is uh, becoming more common. But Joe, why don't you tell me your thoughts first? Well, my first thought is to say $2 <laughs> because this is fast fashion. And if you think mm-hmm. about, you know, what what it costs, it's, it's a large percentage of the investment. So like you're going to think twice if you're buying a $10 top. If I, it doesn't work, am I going to spend $2 on nothing? I, I think mm-hmm. that um, because it's fast fashion, it's significant. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know if I buy something at Zara and I'm like, I'll have to get it dry cleaned. Like, I'd rather just buy something new. <laughs> like, yeah. for better or worse, it's fast fashion. It's almost, yeah, it's it's good for a, a season. It's good for whatever. Um, so, yeah, that, that made me think it was a lot. I would think that you're on the same page as me that um, – as everything moves online, shipping costs are crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as things are going back and forth and also delayed by the time a brand gets the item back, is it shit? Is it on sale? Like it's too mm-hmm. late to put it back on on the online um, for the same cost anyway. It's costing them. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's the rise in like the the massive increase in e-commerce like revenue or e-commerce sales in the last year or two combined with shipping being more expensive it just like makes a uh makes it very costly for the brands to process that um i uh also think it's gonna be a boon for you know something like shein where people buy like six hundred dollars worth of shein stuff try it all on and then like just return the stuff that they don't want like if shein continues to not charge like people already buy so much from shein and it's already so successful and and dominant compared to a lot of these other fast fashion places but now if you're like you can't do that with boohoo you can't do that with zara of like buy a bunch of i mean you can but you have to pay um it's just gonna i think would drive even more people to shein yeah and as you see um it's not just from what if you buy one order and you return what was the deal like if you return maybe two items you get charged two dollars once but then if you return more items, even if it's like four or five, you get charged that $2 again. It's clearly mm-hmm. to me about the shipping because it's about each yeah. each kind of load, um, not per, per item, but you'll get charged again. Um, it's funny. I think it was Revolve. I know maybe Revolve, and I don't know if they still do this, but a friend of mine, <laughs> I won't say her name, but she used to um, do this when it was, she was like going out or going on a vacation, buy a ton of stuff. And literally excessive, try everything on and keep maybe one or two things like and mm-hmm. then return everything else. And she that was a habit. I think maybe she got <laughs> dinged. I don't know. But um, she got she got um, she had to was there a, I think it was a styling fee, a, a restocking fee. Restocking um, fee. Yeah. Yes. And it was first of all, I think it was just her or the people who did it. I think it became a rule across the brand. Oh, I hope it, I have it right. And it's revolved. Um, but anyway. Yeah, brands are learning. They're losing money. They're getting smart. Uh, Rather than, I guess, raise prices across the board, let's kind of punish the people who are the culprits. (laughs) I was going to say, most of the brands that we're talking about that are charging people for returns are not charging them if they return it in person. So if you bring it to the Zara store or the the Boohoo store or whatever, um, usually you will not get charged for the returns and it's only sending stuff through the mail. Um, I'm I'm not sure exactly the economics of how it works, but I assume it's just much easier to process something at there in the store. Maybe even just put it right back on the racks, even if it's like uh, if it's feasible. Um, it's I'm sure it's just easier all around for them to do it that way rather than having to take it back through the mail, pay for shipping, um, get it back into their warehouse, and take it out of the package and all that stuff. You know. Yeah, this would for Zara in particular. It would make me want to go to the store and make damn sure that outfit fits. <laughs> and yeah, don't worry about all of this, uh, which, yeah, I prefer to shop IRL anyway. And it, I do think one final thing is I do think that sort of privileges people who live close to the stores that they want to buy from. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've heard from people who, uh, or from brands who talk about like, servicing the customers who live kind of in more remote areas or or maybe further from where they might have a physical store. A lot of brands, if they have a limited retail presence, will just be like in cities, um, understandably, because there's more people and more customers, or they might just be on the coast. Um, but And then if you are like Jill and you're in St. Louis and the store is only in New York or Los Angeles, you know, that makes it a lot tougher. So I do wonder how that will affect some of the regional revenues for these brands. I mean, obviously, the ones we're talking about, Boohoo and, and Zara, are like European and a lot of this is in the UK and stuff. Um, but even there, I mean, the UK has urban centers and then it has more kind of distant areas. So anyway, I'm sure that will play into the calculation here. 
Yeah, I wonder if it'll also play into cart size. Like maybe you want to wait to, you don't want to buy one thing and then return it. Like you're going to buy, I don't know, again, maybe you're going on a trip and you know you want need like three outfits, like buy a lot at once and just return. You, you may want to buy a lot and then return thing, a, a big bulk again. Um, but yeah, do it in one shot. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, let's call it there, Jill. This is always fun talking to you. Um, for those of you listening, if you have not given us a rating and a review, please do that because it is extremely helpful to us. Um, and then also you should subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear me and Jill talking every Friday, week in review. And then every Wednesday, Jill has a conversation with some interesting industry insider. Um, Jill, who's on deck? Who's who's joining you on the Glossy Podcast next? Up next, you've got George Zimmer, who he says, you probably know the, the line, you're going to love the way you look. I guarantee it. It's the oh, man. that guy <laughs> from Men's Warehouse, right? Yes, totally. So, oh, I um, love that guy. Yeah, now he's behind Generation Tux. So um, all new business. And yeah, so enjoyable to talk to him. Interesting fellow. Check it out. Did you get him to say, you're going <laughs> to like the way you look? I guarantee it. Or did he... I really he wanted demur? to. I wanted to. I felt silly, but I did mention that line in my intro. But um, you'll know <laughs> his voice. It's so <laughs> distinct. Yeah, uh, you'll definitely know it. Oh wow! I have I have imitated that tagline so many times over the years. That's exciting. I did not realize that that's who that was. Well, like I said. If you give the Glossy Podcast a subscribe, then you can listen to Jill talking to George Zimmer. And then every Friday, you'll hear me and Jill talking Week in Review. Once again, thank you all for listening. 